Welcome to the Prep Me Podcast. I'm Tora, and as usual, I'm with Chansey. Hello, hello. We are your hosts of the best, and I might point out, the only pre-med podcast made especially for Canadian medical students. This podcast is made possible by generous sponsorship from Prep 101, the most comprehensive MCAT test prep, test prep company in Canada. So today, we are talking about the one thing that most of you are freaking out about right this very second, your GPA. Yeah, what's good? What's counted? What if it's not good? How to get better? That's today on the Prep Me podcast. So let's let's start. Chance, you ready? I am all set. What what was your undergraduate GPA? Whoa, you, you came Let's in hot. Let's get right into it. You came in hot. My undergraduate GPA, it was probably, oh my gosh. Um, without any adjustments that we're going to talk about later in this talk, I'd say it was probably a 3.75, 3.8 maybe. With first year? With first year, because I did, oh, man. I was very successful in years two, three, four, but it was not a good first year. It definitely was not a good first year. Do you want to know my first semester, first year GPA? I do. 2.0. 2.0. That's, I'm not far from that <laughs> when I think of mine. <laughs> you know what? I used to be kind of embarrassed about this. Like, oh, I was extremely embarrassed because I had never gotten any mark below like 80, right? in high school and all that. And then my first semester, first year, uh, my basketball, I was playing basketball and uh, my basketball coach comes to me and they get the grades, you know, kind of before you do. And he comes to me and he's like, Tora, like Uh you are close to potentially, you know, losing your place on the basketball team, like going on academic probation. I was like, what do you mean? What what do you know? How do, how do you know my grades? And I don't. (laughs) And of course, because I wasn't paying attention to my grades and I didn't know that they were in and it was so mortifying. And then my second semester, first year, I got a 4.0 because I was just like, I can't, I can't function as a 2.0 student. But I used to be really embarrassed, but then I'm like, I like to tell students that now because, you know, a lot of first years doesn't go very well. I get that. And I went on to do a PhD and I went on to be very successful and happy in my career. And it's like, yeah, I had a 2.0 my first year. Like, I'm still, I'm still smart and I'm still worth it. But my gosh, it just shatter you though, right? When you're this person who's like, I, you know, I tried in high school, but I did what I needed to do. And I'm used to 80s and 90s and honor roll, whatever it is. And you do that first semester, same as you. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I, I really underestimated what I needed to do for that midterm or that final or this collection of finals. And you're like, am I in the right place? Is university for me? I know. And, life and is like, we, I'd never studied before. I didn't have a backpack in high school. I didn't need one. I went to class. Oh. And I left and then I went to the gym. Right. And uh, yeah. So anyways, so we're talking about, well, Chansey obviously is uh, smarter than I am. And his GPA is better. Not not confirmed. Not confirmed. (laughs) But But for for the sake of this podcast, um, I am living proof that you can have a really rough, I think it was 2.8, 2.9, maybe like right around the 3.0 area by the end of first year. But you can have a pretty poor first semester or first year and still get into medicine. I am living proof of that, folks, because many of you that may be listening may not have the luxury of being a high school student who's prepping and getting ready for those tough, grueling undergraduate years. You might be in your first year, done your undergrad, done your second undergrad, in grad school, whatever, but we want to really, I guess, shed light to how you do not need perfection necessarily on every single given semester or every year, and how schools will actually benefit you in their process to look at certain years, certain courses, graduate school, you name it. So we're going to try to dive into all of those topics. 
And so here's a question for you then, Chancy. How did you sure. get into medicine with a 2.8 in your first year? Because I think that's, you know what, 2.8 is a respectable GPA after your first year. It's just maybe not your goal for no. medicine, right? No. <laughs> so you still, you still got in, right? I know, like, go figure, right? You know what, so for me, even when, I, so I'm, a, I'm what they would call as a, a mature applicant, just based on chronologic age and time in school, but in doing so, I still had to provide my undergraduate course years and my GPA year to year for many of the schools that I applied to for medicine. Um, but what helped me was that certain schools didn't look at your GPA as a cumulative four years. They had these specific algorithms and tool sets and ways to sort of subcalculate a GPA based on your most representative years. So as any student, most of us do or perform more proficiently as we get through our degree. When we get out of the core courses and we really hone in on what we're there to do in the first place, our bio-specific courses, our chem-specific courses, our Englishes, our, our languages, our, our music, whatever it should be, later years just tend to go better. So schools know that, and they know that that's the best version of you because it's the closest to the student they're gonna get when you walk through the door in the, uh, the first day of your or first year of medicine. So by looking at your third and fourth years and giving more weight to those years, my GPA, like it almost completely negated that first year. It's like it didn't exist in the calculation for many of the schools that I applied to. Tack that on with a graduate school little bonus. It really helped me out from a GPA perspective. Well, in Ottawa, I think has the most complicated GPA correction because they do your GPA in year one is sort of weighted one and then your GPA for year two is times two and your GPA for year three is times three. And then they divide everything by six. Mm -hmm. uh, so that Ottawa awards progression mostly, but for the most, I think we can say to our audience, the, the average school will take your best three years. Yep, and 100%. some schools will say like, as long as it's not your most recent year. Um, now the couples that the couple schools, again, we've talked about this on the podcast already that you're, Finding the right school is sometimes f not necessarily finding your home school or what you think is your, your going to be your, your primary school, but the one where you're most competitive and one where you suit. And so this is a way to like count that. So um, I have a list here, a chancy for you, because I, I know we, we talked about this a little bit. Um, U of S, no GPA correction. Um, McMaster, no GPA correction. Northern, and, Northern Ontario and McGill and Memorial. So those, there's five schools actually in Canada. There's more than I thought, but um, that say we're not going to, your GPA on your transcript is your GPA that, to, for medical school. Mm -hmm. That suits some students. It does. If you're strong all around year one to four and you've got whatever it should be, the cutoff 3.5 on a 4.0 scale or a 3.7 on a 4.3 scale or a letter grade of, you know, B plus and above, you're fine to apply to those schools. And I commend you for that hard work. And you just, you did a lot better than I did um, in that first year. And that's okay. Yeah. And, but I think like, look, uh, uh, UBC, Calgary, Alberta, uh, Manitoba, they drop your worst year. And I think sometimes, and then Dalhousie goes in your most recent two years. So look, the thing is, is that if you have, you bomb a semester, you're taking those courses that you can't stand, whether that's English or organic chemistry, right? I think the, 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 the message is that one bad semester or one bad year is not crushing your um, entry into medicine and even two bad years, mm -hmm. right? Because there's a couple of schools that are, that could be right for you in that way. And then with the way they've corrected it. But here's but see see here's I think the part that students find really really intimidating, and that is when we start to talk about the average GPA of incoming students. 
Like the average incoming GPA of students at the University of Ottawa is 3.93. Wild. And that's at a 4.3 or is it on a, it's got to be 4.3. That's a 4. Is Ottawa? Is it 4.3? It depends on where you go. So that's what I'm saying. So certain schools are 4.0, certain schools are 4.3, but 3.9, oh my gosh, isn't that wild? But if it's an average... There's probably a reflective truth in that. And I can I can speak to U of A because uh, right. U of A is where I teach. And it's a 3.83 average wow. GPA of incoming class. Like that, I mean, I, uh, you see that stat and it's crazy. Like that's so high, mm-hmm. except that's corrected. 100%. That's after everything we just talked about, those special calculations, trying to benefit the applicant by maximizing your GPA potential so you're stronger on paper than you would be if you just looked at all four years, which some schools use. It's also the benefit of two, like like you mentioned earlier, and I'll draw attention back to it because it was certainly a big piece for me applying to medicine, is know your schools. Know what your preferred schools are and where are your benefits. You will benefit certain algorithms because of the years that they give more weight to, and you will likely benefit the schools in most cases that are home or native to your geographic location because they might have lower cutoffs. They may not need that 3.9 out of four, which is the average that applicants are applying with, but maybe their true cutoff is 3.6 or 3.5. And that's a a lot more or a lot less intimidating as an academic sort of applicant looking at schools and whether or not, can I apply here? Should I apply here? Because if you're below a cutoff, it's money wasted, right? They won't look at your application. So you need that due diligence to know where can I apply and where are my best chances of getting in or getting past the GPA requirement for sure. I've always wondered this, like if you apply and okay, so just like Chancey was saying that um, if you're in your home province, you um, you often have a lower standard. So Alberta, um, for University of Alberta, for University of Calgary, if you're an Albertan, then you can apply with a 3.2 at U of C or a 3.3 at U of A. Um, but it's not necessarily competitive. But then Chancey, they will let you apply. They'll take your hundred bucks or oh, whatever it is. A hundred percent, right? It's money. Of course they'll let you apply. But you don't even meet the minimum. <laughs> like they're not even going to open your file. Nope. You pay the cost for that. Have somebody look at it and to tell you this does not meet the requirement. That's where the money is going, right? It's so sad. It's so sad. Well, I mean, in a way, do you blame oh. them? Like if you don't know the minimum requirements... Well, part of me is like, yeah, I mean, I like our, I hope our listeners are here because they're trying to be better, you know, you know, applicants and be more prepared. But for sure, I mean, if you've got the money to throw away and you didn't have the time to review the application, it's sort of like, what more can I say about it? At, at Queens though, have you seen this stat? At Queens, it's about a 3.68 minimum to apply. But they say it fluctuates. Queens is weird because Queens has like a super high academic standard for GPA mm-hmm. for their admissions. But yeah, 3.68 just to apply. That's yeah, nuts. and I'm not surprised. And it's usually around that. Sometimes it's like like a core true 7 or 3.7 or 3.75. And that's a cutoff. It really is. It's just a cutoff. But they may want to revisit that if they go and do their mean approach. And some schools will do this. They'll say, here's the cutoff. And students think, oh, great. I met the cutoff. I'm good to go. And then when they don't get into the school and they do a reflection and can review their failed application, they see that of 10 or 15 possible points for the GPA component, they only got two of 15. How did they only get two of 15? Well, it's because you're in the low bracket of the cutoffs. Yes, you've got 3.71 and we asked for 3.7, but 80% of applicants had a 3.9. So you just got crushed like in that component. But again, we'd remember that's a corrected. That's a corrected mm-hmm. GPA. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the GPAs um, that the med schools look at don't take in spring classes or summer. It's true, yeah. Most will really want to f- favor that schematic of having 
a glimpse at your full potential at a full, full course load. So they won't necessarily say, oh, you can throw in that random summer organic or the random summer elective course to see if you can bump up your, your GPA. If they require a certain course, like if it's a prereq, and, and that's phasing out, I find in general across the country is prerequisites, but schools that still have prereqs, they don't care when you've taken them. They just want to show that you took it and you passed it. But for the GBI calculation, um, they're going to want to see September to April or September to May, full course load, five and five, or full course credit, and then be able to really interpret that this is a true GPA of someone that has full academic workload amongst everything else they're doing in life. Because that's medicine, right? You're going to have a full course load. You're going to want to be balancing all these other things versus somebody who's doing one or two courses a semester for a seven-year degree. It's really not reflective of the, the atmosphere in medicine right now. Not saying it's going to change, but right now. What is considered a full course load? Well, that's just it. So I think it works out to be whatever the five courses would be. You're doing five a semester, so 10 a year. Um, the full-time course credits, I think it works out to be, is it three, like 3.0? So if you do five courses, it's 15 course credits per semester or 30 in a given year. Some people will do more than that. Like there's many people that do more than a full course. Load, yeah, they're not crazy though. You. Yeah, <laughs> there's not a lot of them, but there are some, right? It's going to hurt your GPA though. <laughs> Like you can't, I did six classes in one semester. I did six classes in there. No, my second year, six classes <laughs> in four labs. And, uh, and I did okay. Cause I finally like bought a backpack. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, so that was a good thing. But, uh, but yeah, six classes in four labs. It was, it was nuts. I, I, it was nuts, but I did okay. I, I think I was over 3.5. I think at that point I must've been. And I have a question for you. I got to ask you, Tara, because you have the special lens of like being the professor and being an MCAT instructor. Students that come to you that are asking like, yeah, they're focused on the MCAT or they're focused on the course that you're teaching. Do students ever come up to you with like the medical lens of, you know, Tora, I'm really worried because like this is where my marks are. I know you teach the MCAT. Do you have any advice? Like do people ask you in real time when they're in undergrad, what can I do to be better? And have you had yeah. to give any advice there? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I get lots of, uh, cause, because I'm also like a face of MCAT prep and that, that kind of stuff. And, you know, you see, see me hear me doing these podcasts and some students are, I'm kind of famous, right? So no, my students will come and they'll talk to me. <laughs> no big deal, and, everyone. No big deal. Uh, no. And they'll, they don't know. They definitely ask like, okay, so here's my GPA. Let's, can we break it down? We'll have a meeting and you know, what, what can I do to help? And this is a question I get very frequently can a high MCAT score make up for a low GPA um, on my application? And the answer to that, I always say is within reason, mm -hmm. right? I mean, if you're having, if you have, your GPA is 3.3, there's very little that can make you competitive if you don't have otherworldly, uh, uh, you know, extracurriculars or experience in any other way. So Yes, a good MCAT score, and a lot of schools will do that kind of multiplier. They take your MCAT, and then they'll take your GPA and kind of smash them together and see what comes out. Um, but I, that's the biggest question I get is like, okay, this is where I sit. Can I, can't I just rock the MCAT and then be okay? And is, is that fair advice? Because that's the advice I give. I'm like, yeah, within reason. I mean, if you, it can make a 3.7 student look pretty great if they just crush the MCAT. But a 3.3 student makes it really difficult. Yeah, and I think I was I was certainly that stu like that student, and and I think you know even with whatever it was 3.78 or 3.8, there's still people that are applying with perfect GPAs. So I'm like, shoot, like I really want to do average minimum to above average to excellent on the MCAT so that I can make up for the points lost. Because even after conversion, 
the way the application rubrics work is, you know, to keep everyone fair is they say, okay, GPA is going to be worth 10% of 100% of your application. How, who determines who gets the 10 out of 10, who gets the 5 out of 10, who gets the 1 out of 10? I think it's pretty obvious. It's going to be who's getting the higher GPAs. So sure, if you're able to go and do the MCAT, and that's worth 15% of your application and do quite well on the MCAT, it's it's not truly like offsetting your GPA, but it's giving you more points than you, th more points that you need for your cumulative score to be a more standout stand applicant, meaning that your GPA doesn't really sink you in and of itself. But you want uh, the reality is you want both to be well. Like that's the ideal. I wish I could say to every applicant, voila, here's my magic wand. There's your 3.8. Oh, and here is your here's your 5.18 for the MCAT. Perfect. Don't even consider academics anymore. But I just yeah. can't. So everyone's an individual. So I think that advice is sound and and so important because it gives a little bit of confidence that okay. I really need to hunker down on the MCAT. People take it more seriously, depending on what that reflection is in the undergraduate window of how low was it? How bad was it? Is it really competitive for sure? Well, and I think this is probably a good time to give a little shout out to our listeners and to our sponsor, Prep 101, um, which actually Prep 101 can help you on your GPA and your MCAT scores because they offer the best undergraduate review sessions right before your university exams and offer the best MCAT course out there. So just want to make that clear that one of the ways to improve your GPA is certainly working with our sponsor, Prep 101, at your home university, where I think Prep 101 is at a lot of different universities across the country now. So keep an eye out for those right before your midterms and finals. Uh, but speaking of improving your GPA, yeah. how, d how did you get your GPA up after the first year, you know, rough year, and then, and then keep going? As an individual, I think like many of us who have bad first years, I just, it was enough to shake me as an, I'm not this kind of student. I can do better. I can't blame it all on the courses. I can't blame it solely on new atmosphere and environment being university. Um, but I just, I tried to hunker down. I tried to improve study habits. I tried to be a bit more strategic in the courses I took and the semesters in which I took them, knowing if they were known to be heavy or hard uh, with really tough exams or weighted one particular way that didn't suit my skill set. I really tried to divide those up amongst the three years because I saw truly I'm going to do a bio major with, you know, chem. So I know what that looks like. I know all the courses I need to take. I know my electives. Let's not save all the electives to year four. Let's really get them scattered in early so that I can have a bit of buffer, have a bit of a not necessarily lighter workload. Sometimes it was lighter, but just using a different aspect. More of interesting mind. too. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's not all bio. It's animal bio, microbio, plant bio. Like I give me a break from all the bios. I love it, but to an extent. What? So I, sorry. You needed a break from bio? Uh, I, I needed a break. It makes me a better bio instructor by having <laughs> that, that buffer. Um, to keep neutrality in my pH of Ridiculous. academic potential. Okay. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> no, you never need a break from bio. Well, here's one of the things that I think a lot of students don't realize, especially a lot of our audience will be first or second year students. Hi, Dahlia. Um, is that uh, there's a lot of classes that are courses that you might need to take as part of your degree, but aren't prerequisites for any of the upper level courses. So you mm -hmm. might have to take, um, I don't know, physics or calculus or stats, or I don't know, some course that's part of your degree that you have to take. But then if you look at your course program, you go, well, I have to take stats, but it's not a prerequisite for any of my later classes. So that's something you can actually leave till your fourth year. Because fourth year is, like third and fourth year are the, are the best years. You're doing, hopefully, a major that you really enjoy. You're much more focused in the fields that you enjoy and therefore you're going to do well. So, I mean, for my U of A students, like a good example of that is like you, for if you're in molecular biology and genetics, 
you don't actually have to take bio 208 until your last semester. You don't have to take stats until like right before genetics 375. You know, there's so many courses that you can just procrastinate and push back that you're dreading. Calculus, like I took calculus twice because the first time I didn't, I went to three classes um, in the semester and um, neither of those three were actually the two days that had midterms. So I missed both midterms. I still got a D. Like I just basically invented calculus on the final, um, which is pretty awesome. But uh, but yeah, I still got a D. But anyways, I took it again, and um, and so I didn't need it in my first year, I, for anything. I could have t- taken it in second semester, fourth year, and you do better. You do better as you get used to your study habits, as you figure out how university works, as all of this stuff. Um, so there's all kinds of ways to navigate your degree program and all those courses within it that will give you a better GPA because you're not overwhelmed and, and front loaded in the first couple of years. And that's true because we're, we're certainly biased by being like these bio lovers. And I, I'm still a bio lover, even though I'm moving to <laughs> But like so many applicants and whether it be my classmates or be students that Tor and I have instructed, the majors are from a wide variety, but the methods are the same, right? Whether you're doing English, the best. But bio is clearly the best. Um, yeah, there's the biasum, right? English, music, engineering, um, doing anthropology, it doesn't matter. You're going to have your tough courses. You're going to have your more lighter courses. You're going to see your trajectory of your undergrad. Plan it out and see what makes sense to make you, number one, enjoy it the most, and two, perform the best, right? If you're considering something like medicine that does have that standard of a high GPA to come into it. But not everyone's an undergrad, right? We also have people that may decide to do research like Tor and I did or grad school or work for a number of years. So a lot of times we get questions as to, okay, I've done my, my undergraduate GPA um, and it was, it was okay or it was good or it was average. But then I got all this grad school years. What do, they, what do schools do with grad school years? What, what do they do, do they? if I did a PhD? What do they? Isn't this the perfect forum to discuss that? Yeah, because I don't know. <laughs> It depends. It's kind of like what you discussed earlier with certain schools having differing algorithms and rubrics to break apart a GPA and make it weighted. Certain schools will favor applicants that have graduate school years and take courses you complete in your grad school or just years or a thesis in the end and give you sometimes bonus points in your application. So like academic bonuses, or if you've done a full year of course-based master's or PhD, you'll actually be able to use that year towards your GPA calculation which is huge, right? Grad school, it's your most applied self. You're totally invested in your research. You know it inside and out, and the courses you're taking usually suit your mind and ultimately what you're interested in. So you you do great in your first year of, say, a master's. All of a sudden, a school that needs three years of undergrad, they'll just take two from undergrad and take your master's year, and those will be the three years that determine your GPA. And all of a sudden, a GPA that was 3.7 could be a GPA that's 3.85 or 3.9 based on a stellar grad school year. So that's that's really huge. I'll take a bonus point. I'll take a better year by doing grad school. There's not like this huge deficit of, oh, gosh, you know, I didn't get in or I really want to pursue research. Is that going to hurt medicine? No, if anything, it probably can only help you on an application from an academic standing. And let's face it, graduate courses are a lot easier than undergrad courses. Because they're reasonable. Because they're 100% reasonable in terms of how they test you. Gosh, it's if they so test you. much easier. And well, the thing is, look, I only had three courses in the course of my PhD. Right. And they were all fluff. Uh, no, my oncology course was hard. But the other two were like easy A's. Mm-hmm. So 
do they so though so my GPA of my first year of grad school was a 4.0 but I only had two classes is that a 4.0 some schools will see it that way which is the wild thing a hundred percent because it's hard to gauge a full course load in grad school because when you're not in a class we expect that you're in your lab or you're in your office you're doing the research so it's still considered like in a way academically a full workload so they will truly take a year that's only maybe two courses or three or four and consider it as a full-time year when you add it to your to your GPA. It's pretty remarkable. And it's not every school. Don't, I'm not, I don't want to preach that do grad school because you get an extra like free year. It's not with every school. Most will actually just see it as, as a bonus, meaning two extra points on your academic portion of your application, which let's be honest, we'll take all the points we can, right? Well, actually, I'm just looking. I have some notes on this. Um, Ottawa, you've... Uh, Ottawa, Queens... Um, what else is there? Western and uh, Manitoba do not consider graduate courses, but most will. Most other schools will consider um, your your graduate courses as part of your GPA. So, so yeah, that that might be a possibility for a lot of people who finish undergrad and maybe you're finished undergrad and rethinking grad school or med school or whatever. Um, yeah, going back to grad school is. I loved grad school. I I had a fabulous time. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, and I think that it's of, it does contribute to your overall GPA for most schools. And again, those become your target schools. Yep. A hundred percent. Okay. Well, I think, I think Chancey will wrap this conversation with what was your GPA in your fourth year? My GPA in my fourth year, it was a three point, I think it was 3.9, 3.95, something like that. Yeah. That's, yeah. And, and me too. I actually, I had a 4.0. And then my, uh, my human genetics course was my last course, my last exam of fourth year, second semester. Mm-hmm. And it was a week after my last exam. So I was done, done. I was like, I, I'm so done undergrad. So I didn't study at all for it. But so I ended up with an A minus. So oh, tisk, I know tisk. I screwed up my perfect 4.0 in fourth year oh, just because I was lazy stupid anyways i regret that a little bit but that's okay that's okay so so as you can see listeners gpas go up as the years go up because we get to do things that we love and that's the most important part right or or hopefully at least not hate sometimes you don't always find a major that you love but hopefully you find a major that you don't hate and, and then you you'll do better in it. and you find a major that you can be strategic within and optimize your potential which it will happen you need to talk to your counselors Talk to your friends, your professors. There's lots of people that can help guide you, like Torah in her academic role, towards what's the best way for me to approach year two, year three, year four, based on your major. So honestly, just don't work and, and, and study in a silo. Reach out and get help so that by the time you're in your fourth year, you don't reflect back and say, gosh, I could have done so much better if I just asked for help or if I did a bit of like academic soul searching and really tried to find strategy in the courses I took. Now's the time to make the change, especially if you're in early undergrad or not even started. And if you've done it, there's lots of other options too. There's grad school options. There's benefit with the way certain applications will use rubrics to benefit and maximize your potential on a GPA. So there are ways to take what seems like an average par GPA and utilize it for some of the schools in Canada. So that's it for today's episode of the Prep Me podcast. Please share and talk about us to your friends. And you can find us, of course, we're everywhere where you get your podcasts. Thanks again. And a shout out to our sponsor, Prep 101. Catch you next time.